God, we just thank you for this time of worship, Lord. We thank you that we can gather here, um, God, just as a family and as a community. Um, I pray you open our hearts and minds um, to, God, the truths that you would reveal uh, through your word, through Pastor Joseph. Um, let our hearts be receptive and our minds be open to your teaching, God. It's your name I pray. So one individual that some of you guys may have heard of in the past is a author named Josh McDowell. And Josh McDowell is an individual who wrote uh, a lot of books, very prolific writer. So he either authored or co-authored over 150 different books. And uh, most notably, what most people know him for is a book, or I guess it actually has some sequels to it, that's called uh, New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And in this book, what he did is he goes through and he lays out a bunch of um, information that we refer to as apologetics, you know, kind of looking at uh, facts and information about the world around us and looking at where, you know, kind of the truth of God is revealed in um, some of the things we see, you know, kind of surrounding, um, you know, traditional fields of like science and archaeology and things like that. But I don't really want to talk about, you know, apologetics, even though it's incredibly interesting. I think it's a very, very interesting field of study. And, you know, it's, it's, you could definitely go down some very cool rabbit holes, you know, going on YouTube or going on Google and just like looking up apologetics stuff. Instead, I wanted to look at how Josh McDowell got started. Because when he started his journey, and for any of you that have heard his, you know, testimony, he didn't start out as an individual who was a, you know, Bible-thumping, Jesus-freak believer in Scripture. He started out as a Gnostic. He actually was in the Army National Guard. And as I heard one other person put it, uh, you know, there, there are few things in this world that will get you to question the idea of God and faith than uh, having to be in the military and be around warfare. Well, he got out of the Army National Guard and um, ended up uh, enrolling in college. And during that period of time, he sought out to write a, uh, do some research and write a paper where he basically went through and said, I'm going to go and look up a bunch of the historical information surrounding the Bible and surrounding the person of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to set out to disprove it, to show that this notion of a Jesus is something that is, is very fallible and that, you know, the concept of God as people, you know, think of him as something that really isn't supported by anything that, uh, you know, I find out there in, in the scientific community. The conclusion that he ended up coming to was that Jesus has to have been the person that he said that he was and that God must be the person that he declares that he is. So in doing that, what you can see that he did was exactly what the last several sermons in this series have been about. He questioned kind of the very nature of what he believed and what he assumed was just kind of truth. And as I sit here and I look at the last several messages, you know, kind of hit a point where we say, okay, well, you know, why, you know, let's wrap this up. Why are we, you know, going through this idea of questioning everything about what you've been told in the past? Is it just a matter of, uh, you know, going and being rebellious or, you know, trying to say that everything you've been told in the past is necessarily wrong. And that's not the case. This is simply looking at it and saying that there has to be a journey to our relationship with Christ. The whole purpose of having an experience where we sit here and we know Christ and, you know, moments where we commit our lives to Christ is not so that we can just kind of remain in that single moment and never grow. The purpose of a Christian is to grow in a deeper and deeper and deeper faith. This is something you see Paul talk about in the book of Hebrews when he's actually kind of chastising these individuals that he's writing to about, you know, not 
just simply dwelling in some of the basic aspects of Christianity, but instead saying, okay, once you got this, you need to move on to something that is a little bit deeper, something that's a little bit harder to wrap your head around. In Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 3, it says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying, again, a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, Instead, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. As he sits here and he begins this exhortation, you can see there that he's talking about the goodness of some basic teachings, that there is, you know, goodness in talking about the, the, the basics of salvation, of repentance, of what Christ came here to do. But at the same time, if we truly want to know Christ, then we have to desire to get down into the depths of what his being is and what he did for our lives. There is kind of this mentality with some churches that, you know, kind of have come up in the pop culture zeitgeist over the last couple of decades where they will, you know, look and say, we want to dwell in, you know, kind of the ideas of grace and love and compassion. And we want to kind of stop there. We want to just look at those areas because these are the areas that we find are the most unifying. And there's almost a little shred of something virtuous in that mentality to say that we don't want to dig into things that could be divisive. We don't want to sit here and kind of, you know, relish in things that we think are going to serve no other purpose than to divide the body of Christ. There's something virtuous there. But in doing that, what they do is they sacrifice actually having a deeper, more meaningful relationship with Christ. And so what we can see is that the goal of a Christian should not be to just simply go to vacation Bible school or go to some youth camps and have a, a, an experience, you know, learn some basic Bible stories and then stop right there. The purpose of having a relationship with Christ, what Christ wants for us in our lives is to get to know him deeper. This should be something that is a little bit uh, natural to understand if you just think about any other relationship. At a certain point in time, you kind of get over the, the vague pleasantries of getting to know somebody, whether you have like a romantic relationship or a friendship or whatever, and you start eventually getting to know that person at a deeper level. You start saying like, I don't just want to know the basics of the fact that, you know, I know what they like to do on the weekend and I kind of know general shows that they're into, but I want to know what kind of makes them tick. You know, I want to kind of understand what this person is really excited about, what they're not excited about, you know, what kind of led to who they are today. And we should have a desire to do the exact same thing with God, with to actually look at God and say, I don't just want to know the basics of who you are and kind of know some general stories about you. Instead, I want to understand you at a deeper level. I want to understand more about you. I kind of want to understand how we got to where we are today. And that's where confronting ourselves with some of these more difficult questions becomes an important thing. It can be intimidating sometimes to ask ourselves difficult things about our faith because I think if we were all being honest with ourselves, sometimes we're a little afraid at what that questioning might actually reveal. It might actually lead us to a point of saying, you know what, I don't know how I reconcile this thing in the world or this thing I know about science or whatever with the things in the Bible, and I'm scared to death of what that might do to my faith. And so instead of confronting it and actually testing that belief, I would rather run away from it. And the impact that that can have is that the world is not going to relent. And when the, when the world finally confronts you with saying, okay, answer to what you believe. Tell me how this makes any sense. We end up faltering. The foundation ends up not being full. 
Now, this is something that can be easy to hear and think that, you know, well, this is just about what we call baby Christians, right? Because that's, that's kind of the trend. There's like a life cycle of a Christian. I imagine, you know, probably, you know, because of Meredith going through biology classes and everything, I imagine like, you know, kind of diagrams of, you know, uh, like insects, you know, not that we're all insects, but maybe. And, you know, where you start as like a, like an egg and then you go to like a larva and then you go to a, something. And then you go to like a, like an adult bug, right? Uh, like a nymph, I think it's in there somewhere. I don't know. Uh, but you know, you go through this life cycle, right? And, and you know, uh, a lot of times, you know, we sit here and we get this idea that, you know, well, I'm trying to go through this metamorphosis and I'm pretty certain that book, that word is in that biology book too. You go through that metamorphosis and you get to become like an adult bug. And then you're like, ah, I'm an adult Jesus bug. This is good. You know, and you can sit here and think that, uh, but the reality is you never really actually get to a point where you know everything. Something else that Paul ends up writing in his uh, first letter to uh, the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 3, 18-20, we see this. Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age. Let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that he re- that the reasonings of the wise are futile. Now, what I think is kind of interesting about this is, and in true evidence of the fact that I only rehearse my sermons so well, is that we're talking with, you know, Sean and I were talking just before this service. And, you know, one of the comments that, you know, we were talking about was about some, some other preachers. We won't use her name because we said not nice things about them. But, you know, uh, these, these other individuals, you know, some of them had mentors and they started out in a place that was good, you know, with like good, solid theology. And you said like, man, these individuals had great mentors that were set for success. They got their big, impressive seminary degree and all that. And then they went on and they got a little full of themselves. They got some success and there's nothing that will corrupt like a little bit of success. And so as they sat here and they got more and more, all of a sudden it got to the point where this individual had kind of this uh, debate with this individual that used to be his mentor. And in this debate, the mentor basically took him to task and just said, you've completely turned your back on everything we talked about. And so what you can see in there is that that idea that we can ever actually become a full-fledged adult is kind of fool's gold. You know, as Christians, we only simply unveil how much more we don't know about God. You know, that is, I, I feel like, the the great, uh, you know, curse of, you know, somebody who wants to turn around and study the Bible more and more and more and more is that as you go and you get deeper and deeper and deeper, you might think you understand it better and better and better. And maybe there are aspects that you do, but what you find out is that just kind of unveils how much bigger and how much grander our God is. But I think there's comfort in that because it kind of leads us to this point of actually seeing and having revealed to us this this phrase that sometimes is uttered, that I don't want to worship a God that is so small that I can fully understand him. And so I think that there's something that's almost beautiful in our lack of understanding of what that is, but it should still be important for us to not take that as discouragement, but instead to take that as something that says, you know, you can be, you are enabled and empowered to get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier in who God is. And you will never reach a point where you go like, you know what? I've had enough God for now. You'll never hit that point. You'll just simply want to get more and more and more. But the worst thing that we can do is sit back and hit a point where I say, you know what? I'm Jesus-y enough. You know, I've, I've hit that point where I think I'm good. I generally speaking kind of do the things. I do some things at church, you know. I, I may, I may you know, show up, do some Bible studies every now and then. So I, I feel like I'm good. I'm a good, upright Christian at this point. 
And when you think about getting to that point, I keep thinking of another one of these like coffee mug verses that, you know, pops up in Revelation. There's not a lot of good coffee mug verses in Revelation. This one is, you know, in Revelation 3, 15 through 16, where it says, I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Where God, through this prophecy of revelation, talks about this curse that so many find themselves in today. A curse where they find themselves looking at their lives and saying, I'm good. You know, I feel like I know enough about Jesus. I feel like I know enough about God. And so I'm, I'm in a good position at this point in time. A lot of churches have found themselves in that situation where they've said, as a church organization, as an entity, we're good. We got our programs. I feel like it's almost easier to see it in like a church entity because if there's one thing an organization loves in our world, specifically in our type of economy and culture and everything, it's stability. And so stability is very non-threatening. I got my building, got my stained glass windows, I got my music, which by the way, don't know if you know, was optimized in the 1930s when the Baptist created their hymnal. It's kind of a long-running joke. Uh... But, you know, they, they get this idea that I have everything I need. I don't need to change. I don't need to adapt. And so you end up seeing so much of exactly what was being revealed to John in the book of Revelation when this was being uttered, this idea of churches that had become lukewarm. And I want to take a second to actually stop and kind of contrast a little bit the fact that what many of these churches or what many of these good, upright individual Christians may be doing is not inherently bad. It's important to understand that becoming lukewarm is not a matter of being a good person or a bad person. You can be a good person and become lukewarm. You can be a bad person and become lukewarm. It's not a question of at what level you're at because that would imply that there is a level that is sufficient or somehow healthy. But that's not actually what Christianity is. What's interesting about Christianity is it's not a faith in a religion of requirements and benchmarks that you have to meet. Instead, it is a recognition of the fact that there is no benchmark sufficient for what it is we crave, and that there's no level of holiness that will make us whole and that will fulfill us. Christianity is a recognition of our inability to overcome the things of this world, and a intrinsic curiosity about this God that provided us a way to salvation. So once you look at Christianity that way, instead of looking at it as a series of things that I do and things that I don't do, then instead you look at it as the pursuit of understanding a God who gives you, who inherits to you that sufficiency, that, that sufficient holiness, then all of a sudden it kind of influences how you view yourself. A healthy Christian no longer becomes the Christian who prays on a regular basis and who reads their Bible and who volunteers every now and then at a thing in the community or in the church. But instead, a healthy Christian ends up being a Christian who is in motion and a Christian who is pursuing something that is deeper and trying to work through the different things in their life. And now to the outside, it's important to understand that from the outside, somebody can look very stagnant, but on the inside be progressing. They can be working through things that are that are, are bold in their lives that they can't get over. They can have things that they're struggling with that they are working towards, that they are absolutely moving. And movement, even though it may be in the midst of a headwind working against them, is still movement. But that's what God wants to see in us. When you look at what Christ calls us to do, He doesn't call us to be good enough. He instead calls us to make a change in direction. He asks us to sit here and to take a leap, to take a step, to actually work with us, to, to try to get to a point 
point that we are willing to get over ourselves and get over our own idea of what it means to be successful as a follower of a, of a prophet or a random religion and instead be somebody who is constantly pursuing that, that bottomless pit of depth of who God is. That's what it means to be a Christian. And I think that changes a lot of how we view ourselves. Because to an individual who sees themselves as a strong Christian, it's a warning and a conviction to say, don't get too comfortable. Because you may have far more Bible references memorized than any other person you know. But God is not impressed by your memorization skills. God is not concerned with the fact that, you know, you have the, the most amount of scripture memorized or that you showed up at the most events or anything like that. Instead, what God wants to see is he wants to see the mercy. He wants to see that you are making those efforts to try to pursue him. Now, to an individual who may view themselves as a younger Christian, as somebody who is more of a baby Christian, so to speak, or somebody who thinks that they're stuck, that they see that they're working constantly against the headwind of temptations or struggles in their own life, there's great comfort in that, knowing that it's not that end destination that becomes so important in your life. Even if you go through your entire life and you feel that you have not made a single inch of ground, the ground that you're making up is is irrelevant because Christ is the one who took all the steps to the cross so that you didn't have to. So your, your journey is about demonstrating that pursuit of Christ. And so long as you are pursuing, the amount of ground you're making up is not nearly as important. So you can take heart in that. You can be encouraged in that to understand that, you know, God is there and that he, he is he is seeing my efforts and that he's seeing what I'm doing, even if I feel like it's not something that's present on the outside. As we sit here and we look at this idea of questioning everything about ourselves, we have to be willing to be self-aware. This idea of self-awareness is something that in many areas of society, I think we could greatly benefit from. One of the most frustrating circumstances, like nothing circumstances I find myself in, is when there's somebody with a big buggy in the middle of a shopping center and they're standing in the middle of the aisle just kind of like, oh, well, I think I can buy things here. And it's like they, they didn't contemplate the fact that they're in a store until that moment when they're in the way with their buggy and they're unaware that they take up space. I hate that. Yeah, well, you know... Maybe you should make some movement out of the aisle. <laughs> but there's a sense of self-awareness that is valuable to have. And I think that's why I get so big on this idea of questioning everything around you and being willing to look at everything that's a deeply held belief and not just simply be comfortable with it, but be constantly testing it and trying to see, does this make sense? Is God revealing something different to me or deeper to me or, or maybe new to me that I didn't know in the past? When you start getting into concepts of philosophy and religion and philosophy, if you go and you like study them are, are very tightly coupled, then you end up having basically four, four fundamental pillars of, of philosophy. Okay. One of them is like logic, you know, which kind of makes sense. Uh, one of them is ethics, the only one I've really studied in depth. There's another one that's called metaphysics, uh, a separate thing we won't get into now. And then there's another one that's called epistemology. So, the one that's the biggest word is the one that is relevant to today. So where epistemology is basically in philosophy, this concept that you don't actually 
fully understand anything. There, there is a, there is an origin and there's a finite amount of your knowledge on any given subject. And kind of this classical example that people will give is sometimes this, this idea of like a, you're looking at a train on, on some train tracks that go off into the distance. You see the train tracks getting closer and closer and closer. But you know that they're not getting closer together, right? Well, how do you know that? Have you seen that? Did you verify that? You're just saying that because somebody told you that. All you know is those rails look like they're getting closer and closer together. You might say, but I see a train on it. And if there's a train on it, the train isn't getting narrower or anything. Well, how do you know? How do you know the train doesn't get narrower? You don't actually know that. See, there's an origin of what you know, and then there's a finite level of what you know. And understanding the beginning of what you think you know in your faith and kind of the finiteness of your faith becomes important because that lets you know areas where maybe God has opportunities for you to understand something deeper, for you to understand something different. And so it's important to have that sense of self-awareness, not so that you can have self-doubt, but so that you can understand where the target area is, where you have opportunities to get deeper and deeper and deeper. As I was preparing for this sermon, I came across a piece of scripture that this is kind of like, kind of, kind of tangentially related to what we're talking to. But I want to read for you this piece of scripture. But then I want to read for you a commentary that I read that went along with this that I think talks a lot about this idea of kind of the, 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 how much we understand about ourselves and our willingness to go down into the depths of what we believe. The scripture comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 5 through, uh, verses 3 through 6 and says this. For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your disobedience, once your obedience is complete. Now, as you're getting in here, it's important to understand that what Paul's talking about here, when he talks about demolishing strongholds, is he's talking about the strongholds within yourself. He's, when he's talking about disobedience, he's not talking about, you know, punishing disobedience of other people around you. He's talking about looking into your own heart and areas within yourself that, that you may struggle with or beliefs that you may have that you stubbornly hang on to for no other reason than you become comfortable with it. And instead of looking at that and saying, I'm willing to overcome that stronghold. And so as I was looking at this, I actually was a little bit more interested in a commentary that went around, went along with this. Uh, highly encourage if you guys, uh, you know, uh, pick up a good commentary, set of commentaries, look online, you go to Bible Hub, there's a bunch of them freely available. And one of the ones you'll find that's a popular one is from a uh, 19th century Baptist uh, minister uh, with the last name McLaren. And McLaren was a, uh, he's, he's, he's a Baptist pastor who wrote uh, a very famous set of commentaries that a lot of people will use. In there, in explaining this set of verses, this is what he says, and I think this is, um, I think this is, this is convicting. He says, there is the fortress of ignorance. Most men who are kept from Christ are so because they know neither themselves nor God. The most widely prevailing characteristic of the superficial life of most men is their absolute unconsciousness of the fact of sin. They neither know it as universal nor as personal. They have never gone deeply enough down into the depths of their own heart to have come up scared at the ugly things that lie sleeping there. Nor have they ever reflected on their own conduct with sufficient gravity to discern its aberrations from the law of right. Hence, the average man is quite unconscious of sin and is a complete stranger to himself. 
The cup has been drunk by and intoxicated the world, and the masses of men are quite unaware that it has intoxicated them. They are ignorant of God as they are of themselves, and if at any time by some flash of light they see themselves as they are, they think of God as if he were altogether such and one as themselves, and fall back on a vague trust in their vaguer mercy of their half-believed in God as their hope of a vague salvation. Men who thus walk in a, ve- in a vein show... Sorry. <laughs> uh... And as the lazy trust in what they call their God are a fortress against which, which it will task the power of God to make any weapon of warfare mighty to its pulling down. First of all, reading English from like 200 years ago is very difficult, especially when you're a product of the North Carolina public educational system. But when you go through here, the thing that I latched onto here and that to me cut to the heart was this idea when he refers to, you know, having a vague trust and a vaguer mercy of a half believed in God as their hope of a vague salvation. That phrase right there I thought was so crucial to where so many Christians find themselves because that is exactly what God has become. You know, God starts for all of us as sort of a vague entity, at least intellectually, where we may have felt God, we may have experienced God or experienced the grace of Christ in our lives, but fully understanding the nature of God is in and of itself difficult. It is the, it is factually and intellectually a difficult thing to wrap our heads around, especially in the midst of all of the other information that we have available to us. Stuff that is cultural in our world today, stuff that we see that is philosophical about how people process things, things that are historical and archaeological and scientific, it is difficult to wrap our heads around the magnitude and the vast power and breadth of who our God is, which is kind of the whole point. But in doing that, so many of us will willingly turn our heads the other direction because we are afraid at what confronting that vague misunderstanding may result in. So many people are afraid to confront what it means to have a God and then at the same time be in the face of science that says things like evolution and things like billion-year-old universe and, and, and things of this nature. Instead, what you see many individuals doing under the guise of trying to combat the world around us is say, I don't really want to actually confront it, so instead, I'm going to make up my own version of society. I'm going to make up my own reality. I'm going to make up my own weird, kooky science that I think supports what I've already decided is correct. And in doing that, what people might actually be doing is turning away and running from some greater truth that God wants them to understand. Maybe what God wants us to understand is that you don't know how everything was put together. Maybe what God wants us to understand is you don't actually fully understand the mechanics of grace, and that's why there's all these different models. Maybe what God wants us to understand is you don't fully understand the mechanics of how I created the heavens and how I created the earth and how I did all of the miracles in, in, in the past and how I still work through the lives of different uh, uh, you know, uh, prophets and disciples and apostles, all throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, and in the world today. Maybe what God wants us to understand is that you can't understand it all, and that's kind of the whole point. So just stop it. Stop trying to find your sense of, you know, strength and your sense of support and stop trying to measure the strength and the, 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 the size and everything of your faith according to how much you think you know. Because I promise you, no matter how much you think you know, you don't know nearly enough. You don't have any clue. And so when you strip that away, it leaves something that is very interesting. It leaves us with the only other thing that we could possibly do with a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
and that is to love other people. There's an interesting mechanic that takes place here that when you take away all of the academic, you take away, you know, that I'm a good Christian because of how many verses I know, and I'm a good Christian because of uh, how how long I've had perfect attendance in church, and I'm a good Christian because of how many conferences I've gone to. When you take away all of those, I'm a good Christian because statements, all you're left with is the mission. And I think that's on purpose. That when you look at what Christ calls us to do, he doesn't call us to be merely an intellectual uh, monolithic giant. He doesn't call us to be an individual that just sits there and flips through pages in a book and then doesn't put our faith into action. He calls us to be something so much more than that. You look at the Great Commission, and the Great Commission was not to hole up in your house and then pray by yourself. And the Great Commission was not to just sit here and, you know, flatter yourself by how good of a Christian you think you are by worldly intellectual means. Instead, the Great Commission was to go out and to make disciples, to share the gospel, to show the glory. And how do you do that? You don't do it by being hostile towards other people, and you don't do it towards being divisive towards other other individuals and other communities. You certainly don't do it by making the most important things in your life the most divisive things in our culture, things like politics and social wars and all that. You do it by finding people in your lives who need love and you love them. You do that by embracing people who need to be embraced. You do that by showing hope to individuals who have no other hope in their lives to grasp onto. That is the mission that we are called to do. When I look at the final exhortation that Paul gives to the people in Thessaloniki, you know, he, he, he says this. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 14 through 20. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, Warn those who are idle. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the Spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. And so as we sit here and we close out this, this series and this kind of theme of talking about questioning everything, I would just kind of like to answer the question, why is it that we should question everything? And it's because by questioning everything, we understand that we don't know nearly as much as we think we do. And when you strip away everything that you think you are and everything you think you can do by your own power, by your own intellect, and by your own religious obedience, strip all of that away, and all you're left with is the opportunity to show love and grace and compassion to a hurting world around us, which glorifies God more than learning a thousand Bible verses. Let's pray. Father God, as we seek to understand you more and more and more, we pray that you would reveal through these scriptures, through the words that you have left us, and through the, the, the prophets, through the disciples, through your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray that these things would speak to us and would convict us not to be Christians of our own making, not to be followers of a lesser God, of a vaguer God, but to be followers of a real God that has, has real power and that does real things in the lives of real people who really need it. God, we pray that you would keep us convicted, that you would keep us motivated, that you would keep us strong and energized so that we are ready for the mission that you have laid before us. And in doing that, help us to not get corrupted by little successes in our own lives, by little things that we think we may have learned, by false confidences we may, be, we may have built up. But instead, Lord, help us to 
to understand that where we can't, you can. And that where we are insufficient, you are sufficient. And that the whole point of everything that we're doing is pursuing endlessly your love and knowing you deeper and deeper. Help us to be able to share the excitement of that truth and the excitement of that pursuit with other individuals so that they too can benefit from the blessings of a relationship, knowing what it means to not have to be enough. Thank you, God. We pray these things in your son's precious holy name. Amen.